0: This is Bracken Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce.
1: Welcome in to another edition of and Rights. Week two is in the books, and we are here, as always, to break down all of the action. We thought it was going to be a pretty sleepy slate, but it was not. We had a great weekend of football, and to talk about it, I have my co-host, I'm Madison, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Pierce. Pierce, how are you?
0: Doing very well, doing very well. I will say, this is a weird weekend, or week, um, especially for a recap, you know, we've been pouring into the scoreboards this, the, the last you know 48 hours, heck, um, 72 hours, with uh, with what we had going on this weekend and being out of town on on a little quick quick vacation trip, and and especially with my uh, my needed excursion, um, unable to to you know really watch three or four hours of of uh, you know the middle of the day on Saturday, any games uh, took away, but I'm, I'm excited to dive into it because there are some fun storylines, some some big games, and uh, and and coming up on. Uh, a bigger weekend uh, with some of the look-ahead games. So excited, Ivan.
1: Yeah, what Pierce is alluding to is we took a family trip to Chicago for his uh, 30th birthday, and uh, you weren't with us at the moment. You had to run off and meet a friend real quick, but uh, we were in Nordstrom uh, doing a little bit of shopping, and um, there was a long line of men, and then me, Gathered around the one TV in the place uh, watching the end of the Oregon-Ohio State game. We will get into that action. Uh, bonkers stuff uh, in uh, Columbus. And uh, down goes potentially a playoff contender. But we'll get into that, like I said. All right, let's start it off, Pierce, with our recap. We uh, I think this was game was on Friday night. Yes, it was on Friday night. Uh, Coastal Carolina 49, Kansas 49. 22 the Chanticleers take down Kansas for the third straight year Kansas when they scheduled this series I don't think thought that Coastal Carolina would have one of the best group of five schools in the nation if if maybe one of the better uh, schools in the nation when it comes to football this is the first time that the game has taken place at home it's actually the first time that Coastal Carolina um, has faced a power five opponent at home that game or that uh, this game obviously being a win. Awesome stuff there on the teal turf. Now, Coastal came out quick. They scored on three of their first four possessions to go up 28-9. to And Kansas would only find the end zone once in the second half, giving them their first loss of probably many to come. Uh, Lance Leopold and that crew, they don't have a lot to be excited for as they open up conference slate here soon. Um, My bragger of the game, Pierce, is uh, Josiah Stewart, from Coastal Carolina, he had three and a half sacks. Coastal just absolutely got after it. And even though they did let Kansas score a little bit in the first half, they absolutely shut things down in the second half, and Coastal made it look easy. Grayson McCall had a great game as well. What did you think here about this uh, Coastal Carolina-Kansas matchup?
0: You know, this game went very much how I expected. Um, I know people probably rolling their eyes at that. Uh, But listen, you know, I I was very much on the fence with uh, whether to take Kansas getting – Uh, Getting the twenty-five and a twenty-five, I believe it was right, Um, and and regardless, it was right around that number, and 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 I just didn't know if Kansas would be able to stay with them, and you saw that McCall was very efficient, obviously going out there didn't didn't need to do too much, um, but didn't panic when Kansas got a couple, you know, got up nine points, uh, and, and it was nine to seven, didn't panic, going okay, well, we remember last year where. Yes, we had that magical season, but we didn't blow this team out on the road. So maybe, maybe they're they're coming in here and you know going to try and hang with us. And I, I thought, kudos to Kansas State; they, they they came out and fired up and ready to play. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the storyline here is that McCall is just a little bit too too much on a different level. Than a team like Kansas, and, and at the same time, you know when you have this many good players returning, it's just it's just going to be hard for a team like Kansas to slow those that, those those stars down. So those kids played well and just were able to keep it up. Just didn't didn't let their foot off the pedal. Um, got some things to clean up, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but you know Coastal is just a well oiled machine at this point. So um, pretty pretty much standard as as I thought this would play out.
1: All right, now to talk about the most highly anticipated matchup of the week, the Oregon Ducks and the Ohio State Buckeyes. This game was supposed to take place in Eugene last year. COVID obviously derailed that, so the Ducks – headed over to Columbus. And uh, we sort of knew that Ohio State had a defensive problem after week one, but the Ducks solidified that this is a major issue that Ryan Day and company will need to uh, to sort out. They handed the Buckeyes their first regular season loss in three years and the first ever for Ryan Day as head coach of the Buckeyes. Now, offensively, Ohio State had a great day, and they kept pace with Oregon. Quarterback C.J. Stroud threw for almost 500 yards, and he found Jackson smith Jigba, Najigba, I'm assuming is how you say his name, seven times, and Chris Olave, 12 times. Yeah, I think times. it's a jigba. They had great days. Najigba, okay. Um, but here's the thing. Joe Moorhead and Oregon's offense were ready and aggressive, which was needed considering how banged up the uh, the Ducks were on the defensive side of the ball. They were going to need to put up points, and boy, did they. My bragger of the game is C.J. Verdell, the running back out of Oregon, 161 yards on 20 carries and two touchdowns. Good day for that running back out of Oregon. Mario Cristobal, he uh, he looked pretty good, as did um, Joe Moorhead. Like I said, they came out with a great game plan, and they get it done. Ohio State's maybe not out of it, but it's now – the wiggle room is gone for them. Uh, the Big Ten is struggling a little bit, and they're going to have to win out with Clemson now having a loss and Ohio State having a loss. It's going to be an interesting thing to see as those teams go down to their conference championships, if they both make it to their conference championships, uh, what the committee chooses to do with that. Oregon also would probably need to win out in pretty impressive fashion. Their only real foe um, was USC. They fired Clay Helton today, just a few hours before we hit record, actually. Um, So who knows what's happening there. Not really a great foe for them to hang their hat on divisionally or uh, conference-wise. To point towards a resume builder, but this is certainly a very, very big resume builder. So we'll see what happens out there out west. Uh, Pierce, I know that this was the game you didn't get to necessarily watch live, but I know you were following it closely. What did you think about this one?
0: Uh, so this was actually one that I did catch. Uh, I did catch some uh, some some snippets of the game. Um, yeah, you hit on a lot of the points that I was going to bring up, uh, namely. You know, what Joe Moorhead did there uh, offensively and some of the things that he did from a schematic standpoint, really this 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 Ohio State team defensive wise is really mediocre. Uh, I think that's the best way to put it. And on top of that, you know, when when you throw some eye candy at them, some wrinkles into the play and into what you know what they haven't seen before. Um, it really, really puts them at a disadvantage defensively. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, you saw C.J. Stroud, you hit on it. C.J. Stroud had a, I mean, statistically an unbelievable day. Um, I know – he missed some open throws. He's going to have to figure that out or else, else he is going to be yanked regardless of if he throws for 484. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is just a story of Ohio State's defense not being able to stop anybody. Um, C.J. Verdell absolutely went berserk on the ground and it allowed them to control the clock as well. I mean, Ohio State still was in it, but yeah, I think even most diehard and, and maybe some bias, most biased Bucks fans would realize that, man, they've got some issues on the defensive side of the ball and, and that they have to shore up or else, you know, the, the, it's it's night and night for their uh, playoff hopes. But, um, you know, hey, I, I think that they, they, they certainly need some help. They certainly needed Oklahoma to lose. Um, but – if they run the table, and say an Iowa runs the table as well, and they have that you know strengthening of schedule, uh, being able to knock them off, uh, you're going to see Ohio State right back in the picture. They seem to always get better throughout the season too. Um, you know, a lot of times, and, and even some of their more successful years. They, it almost this first loss wakes them up. so we'll see how they respond to this. But if they don't make any adjustments on the defensive side of the ball and figure out some pieces which may just not be there in order to plug in place uh, to replace some of these uh, the, the guys struggling defensively, uh, I, I just don't I, I, we'll see where they go. But again, they should win every game in their conference, uh, but it does make things interesting and excited to see where they go from here.
1: So I got a question for you. This is a way too early speculation, but let's say theoretically, Georgia and, and uh, Alabama are undefeated, meeting the SEC championship. One of them now has a loss. One of them has a win. The winner obviously gets in. The one loss, per, the one loss team likely gets in, especially if it's Georgia and they handed Clemson their sole loss, and Clemson's undefeated or, or runs the table rather and wins the ACC championship. So let's just assume you've got those three. Um, Oregon's going to have to, or uh, not Oregon, Ohio State's going to hope, have to hope that Oregon, um, loses a game. And of course that's assuming Oklahoma does not win, uh, all of their games as well. But Oregon now has probably the second most impressive victory behind Georgia's win to Clemson. If Oregon wins out and doesn't struggle to any teams in their conference, I mean, an undefeated Pac-12 champion, I don't know how the committee would deny that. We might be potentially looking. Like I said, I can't imagine they're going to struggle with many teams um, out west this year. The Pac-12 looks down. I-, I think we could be looking at the first Pac-12 uh, uh, um, representative in the playoffs. I think I think we probably, unless they lose to someone like a Stanford uh, or... You know, I don't think they're going to lose to a Washington or an Oregon State, but if the, you know they lose to a Stanford, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, or I think they play. I think Utah's in the north as well. Um, then they won't. They won't necessarily be in it. But I mean, I think I think Oregon's got a shot now. They got to be pretty excited about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to add on a little bit to, to what you just asked. Uh, you know, you you were teeing up that question, and it was funny the whole time. You kept saying, "Oh, listen, you know." Mark the two SEC schools off. You know, regardless of whether Alabama, I guess you can maybe still keep a and M in there, but I, I, I almost feel Dude, like I've seen not without Haynes of them King news, and and without Haynes King exactly. But even then. Their offense just didn't look like, you know, it's kind of like Georgia's looked over the last, you know, four or five years, where you got that good defense to hold your hat on, but you're, you're unable to go out there and score many points. And you have these weird letdown games where you're in a battle, even though you probably won the game from a totality standpoint because they couldn't score either. You just shoot yourself in the foot and, and you know, you're trying to overcome, you know, some some hurdles on the offensive side of the ball just, um, you know, from your lack of, of ability to go out there and put up 35 points a game. But, uh, you know, so I write the two SEC schools off, Bama and Georgia, as long as, you know, they, they don't have more than one loss. I think Clemson, they run the table. They have a very good shot. They probably get in. OU obviously needs to run the table as well. Um, but I didn't think about Oregon. Uh, and, and I think they, if, we, if I remember correctly, they had a pretty good uh, schedule set up as far as some of the tougher games that they played in the Pac-12. I believe they caught a couple of them at home. Um, I will need to double check on that. But I mean, yeah, you look at it, and after the first week or so, you know, you saw UCLA, you know, beating LSU, and it seemed like the Pac-12. Boy, could this be the second second best conference? Well, Oregon s- certainly helped that out, but you saw Washington get blown out, you know, blown out for their second loss of the season. You see USC lose to what a lot of people thought, and I still believe this is one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 in Stanford. Um, so really, the only team, and Utah lost to BYU. So you're looking at it. Where does uh, Oregon get that loss? I don't know if they play a UCLA or Arizona State this year. I think they do play the the Sun Devils, um, but maybe it comes from one of them. I don't feel confident about that.
1: So they have Stony Brook this week at home. Then they have Arizona. They go to um, Palo Alto to play Stanford. Then they'll have Cal and UCLA, Colorado, Washington, Washington State, Utah, Oregon State. So really, honestly, the big hurdle there as of right now is UCLA. That's your big well, one, and Utah. I'm Utah. not
0: seeing any roadblocks there. It, it would it would take a game where they shoot themselves in the foot um, in order to, in my opinion, not not run the table in that weak conference of theirs. Um, so you got to be feel feel good about the Ducks' chances at, at the moment. I mean, I'll tell you this too, as a Dogs fan, I, don't, I I wouldn't mind seeing them. Man, I'd feel a lot better playing Oregon than I would a, a one loss Ohio State or Clemson or Oklahoma. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting. We're obviously way too early after week 2 to start speculating on that, but uh as as a um, tertiary Oregon Ducks fan, I uh certainly am excited about what happened there in Columbus. All right, let's talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks taking down East Carolina 20 to 17. It's the second week for the Gamecocks without named starting quarterback Luke Doty, but they got it done with a last-second field goal on the road. I think there was like 13 seconds left when they punched that one through. Uh, Now, as for the Pirates, they squandered their chances, unable to capitalize on South Carolina's mistakes, including three turnovers. The bragger of this game, Pierce, I have marked down as South Carolina's defense after allowing a touchdown on the first play of the game. They only gave up 193 yards and racked up five sacks against the Pirates. Now, Beamer did say post-game that Doty will be back to 100% next week, but as uh, 32-point underdogs to Georgia going to Athens, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play as much as expected. Don't know why you'd put him up against Georgia's defensive front, um, who we saw what they they did to DJ Uyunglele. You know, he's just coming off of injury, so I got to imagine you play conservatively, but uh, Beamer Ball – he might, not, uh, he might come out swinging. We'll see. We'll have to see uh, what, uh, what he's got that quarterback on. But 32-point dogs. I mean, you and I remember the days where that was a trap game for us, where we would go out and, and it, we just kind of hoped we would beat South Carolina. Squeeze past South Carolina. Usually it was like the second game of the year. Um, this is a different Georgia team. This is a different South Carolina team. Very interesting to see that line come through. I think I about guffawed in the airport when I saw that. Uh, what do you think here about South Carolina and East Carolina's efforts?
0: <laughs> you guffawed. Uh, we were in the airport, oh yeah, you might actually, no, you were at your gate, dad saw the line to that while we were in the busy terminal, and he caffod so loud, every person around us, I'm talking 40 people looked like, what in the world was that, um, it, it was quite alarming, of course, you know, that doofus was wearing both of his AirPods, so he didn't know how loud he was yelling, um, yeah, you know, this is a weird game, obviously, because the, the South Carolina Gamecocks, this is, for them, this is a massive game. I would argue that this, out, other than Clemson, is the one game that they want to win each year. They get a lot of players from Georgia that are overlooked by, you know, the Georgias of the world, the Auburns of the world, those type of programs that come in and regularly steal prospects uh, from Georgia. And 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 I will say, in the past, South Carolina has benefited from playing Georgia early. Regardless, let's cover this game real quick Um, you know I I was a bit surprised to see South Carolina struggle offensively Um, you know just watching ECU a little bit last week against App State you know they got out to an early lead um, but then the wheels really fell off kind of like this game in a way Um, but I I didn't see their defense being able to stop South Carolina not saying South Carolina is loaded offensively but they do have enough weapons and they're an SEC uh, SEC team from a talent perspective so I was surprised to see South Carolina struggle a little bit. You know, call call it what it is. Maybe that's a that's a byproduct of the fact knowing okay, we play Georgia next week. Let's not put you know any everything else that we haven't shown yet on film. Let's play it a little bit more mellow and uh, you know try and keep try and try and keep guys a little bit more healthy. Maybe do some platoon type things. Uh, but they certainly needed to turn it on late in order to get this win. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, good on them. I had South Carolina as my easy-peasy. They bailed me out. They were the only easy-peasy that I won this week, um, so I'm a huge Gamecocks uh, fan after that one, but, yeah, I just don't see how this team does a, does anything against Georgia. We'll see. Rivalry game, like I said, they t- they tend to show up, and it's back to an earlier uh, game in the schedule. Um, you know, Spurrier, Spurrier always has that line of, you can always trust on Georgia to have a couple a uh, couple of starters suspended for the second week of the season, um, you know, with those Athens cops. But uh, anyway, South Carolina they got the win. That's all they needed, uh, but they they have a long way to go, and um, certainly know that they're in for a uh, an ass whooping here coming up.
1: Pittsburgh forty, Tennessee thirty four. Now, mistakes were abound for these two teams. They were both hoping to pick up a pretty big out-of-conference win. This was dubbed the Johnny Majors Classic, obviously, with a tie. Uh, Johnny Majors tying those two programs together. Tennessee did get out to an early lead, including a scoop and score on a blocked punt, but then they gave up 27 points to Kenneth Pickett and the Panthers in the second half. In fact, every time Pitt entered the red zone, they scored. So that's not a great, um, a great streak to uh, to to have against your team. Tennessee's offense struggled with Joe Milton. He did leave the game with a um, lower leg injury. They did show a little bit of life once Hendon Hooker entered the game, but turnovers and penalties for the Vols. I think there was like 134 yards on 13 penalties. That's just going to be too much to outwork, no matter how good your uh, quarterback is doing. My bragger of the game, Pierce, it was hard. This game was really honestly not that pretty of a game, uh, but my bragger of the game is Kenny Pickett. He was serviceable, 285 yards on at 24 completions, and in a game like this, that's just what you need to do. Get out, deliver the rock, get it done, and that's just what Pittsburgh did. Getting out of Rocky Top with a win, I mean... I don't know how you don't roll with Hinden Hooker here. Joe Milton overthrew every single time, um, you know, and it's just one of those things where Josh Heupel last week with Bowling Green, Tennessee fans were super excited this week, probably less so. They've got a long road ahead of them here in the SEC East. Georgia's obviously going to be a super formidable foe. They play Alabama every year. Florida's going to come in uh, ready to wreck shop, and, and Kentucky looks pretty good as well. So Tennessee in for a long road ahead of them. Um, but maybe, maybe Hendon Hooker is just what the doctor ordered. What do you think about this game, Pittsburgh and Tennessee?
0: Well, you just hit the nail on the head. It's what Tennessee's going to be dealing with all season. And yes, Hooker and Milton might provide the highest upside. But from a consistency standpoint, there it's going to be like a, you know, a pitcher. They're, you're going to have to figure out if they've got it or they don't that day. And that's just a sad reality of their situation there. If you want consistency, I think you go Harrison Bailey. Um, he's not going to wow you. I don't think his ceiling's as high as... Either of these two guys, but if you want consistency, I think he's your best shot. If you want higher upside, it's it's just going to be a mixed bag between these two, and you got to find the hot hand. Um, you know, I knew <laughs> I had the under in this game as an easy-peasy. I was super fired up about it, my play of the week. And uh, what do you know, I, I, we were watching this game before heading out in, in Chicago, and Within the first two minutes, uh, I think it was after Pitt's first possession, uh, Tennessee sends sends the blitz and three guys get to the punter and one just easily almost takes the ball off the punter's foot, um, and they get it and they and they punch it in for an easy score. Right then and there, I knew this was going to be trouble. Um, I was hoping for the defense to be a little bit more sound. And and when you start you know when you start giving up plays like that, you know you're undershot, especially on special teams where the tide can flip so quickly. Um, you know, I, I gotta admit, I'm sure Tennessee fans aren't looking at it this way, but I'm 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 okay I'm okay with this. Yeah, you hate to give up 41 to Pitt, but the sad reality is your talent left your your entire talent left. If you had most of those defen- defensive guys coming back, Pittsburgh does not score 41. And with the hodgepodge, you know, p- people that they've got or group of people they've got playing offense. Um, to put up 34 against a team defensively in pit that I thought was going to be a little bit better there. Um, yes, I know. Again, they had some short fields that they had to deal with, um, due to some of those you know miscues. But still, I, I mean, you got you got to tip your cap to some extent for Tennessee coming out here and battling, um, and at least going out there and giving it their all. Um, at the end of the day, it's not enough. It's it's going to be a long season for them. We knew that. Um, they're gonna have to figure out the QB situation from the standpoint of and it's too it's very difficult I don't think it's a, a thing you can really win um, when you're platooning quarterbacks like this you got to find the hot hand but gotta find that hot hand a little bit sooner um but other than that you know I, I will give some props to Tennessee for just coming out and battling and putting up 34 points in what I thought could be a, a pretty ugly game for Tennessee you know I was looking at a 31 to like 10 point or no like a 28 to like 14-28-10 type of game, but also banking on potentially Tennessee not scoring much and Pitt really struggling as well. So, um, you know, tip your, tip your cap to both teams. Tennessee uh, obviously showed up and played well offensively for the most part, got some points on the board, which is, is always great for a fan base that's really struggling. And then defensively, um, yes, they got beat out uh, by Pitt, but tip your cap to them coming into a hostile environment and putting up uh, a, a good amount of points. So, ugly game, you're right, ugly game, but – uh but a fun one nonetheless.
1: Well, it's time to talk about your TCU Horned Frogs. They won it. They won the game. They did not cover, but you got to win your clunkers, as our friends at the Solid Verbal like to say. TCU 34, Cal 32. Gary Patterson's Frogs move to 8-0 against Pac-12 teams. All time. Uh, I did not know that. That's a stat I just found out. Gary Patterson has never lost to a Pac-12 team at the helm of TCU. Just over 21 years that streak is going on. Um, a come from behind one in this one, Pierce, at home. A little scary there for you guys in purple. Uh, now, Cal had a great game offensively, but another game where they blew a two-touchdown lead to start the game. That's right. They were up 14 and 2, uh, 14, two nothing for the second week in a row, and they don't get it done. You don't feel good about that if you are a Golden Bears fan. Um, And now while the Frogs started slow, a 51-yard touchdown run from Zach Evans swung the momentum right before the half, and then – They saw an opening uh, second-half drive that went 75 yards and ended with a 15-yard reception uh, to Quinton Johnston. My bragger of the week, though, is Zach Evans, the running back from TCU, 190 yards on 22 carries and one touchdown, including the one that really got things going for TCU. So, you know, you come away unscathed. You stay undefeated. You don't love – the end line, as far as you don't cover. But at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win. You've got a Pac-12 opponent coming to town. You get it done. You got those bragging rights. And at TCU, you, like I said, you win your clunkers. So what did you think here about your uh, Boys in Purple's uh, game last week?
0: So this was about the point where I started, you know, I had to go on my excursion. Um, it was necessary uh, out to the uh, West Burbs of Chicago, which was a whole, uh, whole other ordeal within itself. But uh, – <laughs> So I didn't get to watch this game until I got back in the cab, um, but I followed along closely. And I will say, I got nervous about this game about two or three days leading up to it. You, you, the public was heavily on TCU side, and uh, you know, counting out Cal, and, and and the money was starting to go in their favor, and that scared the scared the heck out of me. But it also was one of those games as a TCU fan. You, you kind of knew, other than one season that I've or two seasons that I've uh, been a TCU uh, alum and, and fan. Have they really just been able to go out there and beat and handle everybody they've they've you know they've faced? You knew this might they, there would be some challenges here. They did. They had a really really big cupcake in week one, whereas Cal had to go out and face arguably the best quarterback in the country um, from Nevada. So, you know they they were a little bit more prepared in this one in my opinion. And you know they get that pick six uh, for their second touchdown of the game to go up fourteen to nothing. Um, obviously Duggan makes an unfortunate uh, error there. Uh, so other than that, you know, you can take a, a touchdown off the board. TCU fought back. I mean, the, you hit it. Zach Evans, the former Georgia commit, was unbelievable. And and the biggest play of the game, in my opinion, was his last second fifty-one yard touchdown run with fifteen seconds left in the first half. Cal just lets him bust free and he takes it in uh, into the end zone with I think nine seconds left on the clock in the first half. I mean, that was the ball game right there. They go into half up, you know, two scores. It's a different outlook for TCU going into the locker room, different outlook for Cal. Um, you know, good on Duggan and, and Co. He could have gotten down early. I've seen this a lot from TCU. They tend to have slow starts. Um, always a little bit worried when I see a team, specifically a quarterback um, like Garbers, put up this many point or yards against TCU's defense. Now, listen, normally when I'm saying that, it's against a Big 12 uh, offense, and, and and that's just going to happen little bit nerve-wracking to see that they did it. They let that up to a Pac-12 team. Uh, but at the end of the day, a win's a win's a win. It wasn't pretty, but they're in the Big 12. It's not like they're playing in the SEC. So not going to overreact on this one. Just wanted to get out of this one uh, with the dub.
1: Absolutely, and you got it done. All right, the next game we're going to talk about, the Air Force Falcons 23, Navy midshipmen three. Some interesting um, stuff has come out of this one, Pierce. I don't know if you saw, but the Navy's offensive coordinator, I believe, was fired mid-game, and it was uh, assumed – maybe it wasn't mid-game, but, like, right after the game. It was assumed that it was uh, head coach Kin. – I'm going to butcher his name – Niman Tolo – whatever – Navy's coach, um, it was assumed that he fired the offensive coordinator. Now, they run that triple option. There's not a ton of OCs in the country who know that program. They're both um, Paul Johnson guys, so you'd think he would just continue to roll with him. He, literally right before I think we took the air, um, I saw something that said that he actually clarified that it was their athletic director who fired the OC. Interesting move. You don't normally see the AD firing OCs. Uh, Sounds like he was pretty peeved. And then announced that he went and appealed that firing to the a D. so the oc is now back on as the quarterback's coach so not great stuff i know you you should see pierce's reaction it is just something Pierce, it's a mess right there in navy and it's to be you know we we both know the triple option it can muck things up but it's not a winning formula over time um you know it's one of those things where you you're going to get wins that you shouldn't expect to get but navy is um struggling here with the um service academies in terms of how the other service academies are doing. Um, and at the end of the day, you've got to win. The, you've got to at least be in contention for the Commanders-in-Chief Cup, um, and they're not again for the second year. What you want to say?
0: I just want to add, and I didn't want to cut you off. Um, you're right, but you know this well. Navy situations a little bit like FSU um, in Florida, where you tend to see one or maybe two of the three powers, whether that's Miami, Florida, or FSU, make those runs, specifically one. Sure. Service academies are like that. And once Army had their come up two or three years ago, they started getting a little bit more of the players that Navy might get. Um, because those players were seeing how fun Army was, and they were the underdog. So, um But it, you're right. I mean, what the hell? I, I mean, listen. When you fire a coach, the reports come out, that's bad enough. Then the AD, clearly, that was a saving face for Ken Niamatololo. And then to pull back and say, you're welcome back here, but as a key, that, I mean, you want to talk about major media screw-ups, that's as big as it gets.
1: Well, and it's obvious that Ken Niamatololo and uh, his Uh, A.D. are not on the same page, so that's never good for a program. I will tell you that right now as a Florida State fan, you see what has happened from a few years of the A.D. and uh, Jimbo not agreeing, and now FSU is losing to FCS programs. So don't want to talk about that. We didn't cover that game. We won't be talking about it. I'm very Salty. doesn't help that every podcast I've listened to today is just donking on FSU, and it just is – I've been sitting in my little cubicle at work just pissed off. All right, but we're here to talk about Air Force and Navy. 23-3 is the final there. It was a special day for both of these programs, meeting earlier in the season than usual to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. But for Navy, that was just about the only highlight of the day. As we already talked about, the triple option is just one of those schemes that works until it doesn't and it was held to just 68 yards in this one. Just one first down, Pierce, before the fourth quarter. I think they only had six total. Uh, Air Force didn't have a great showing either, but it was enough to get it done, and now they are one win away from the Commanders-in-Chief trophy. My braggers of the game, these punters. Uh, Charles Bean, I think I'm saying that right, for Air Force. Riley Reithman and Kellen Grave De Peralta for Navy, who all three of them combined for 15 punts. That's not a stat line you like to see in a football game. If you watched the whole uh, game, I apologize. You saw a lot of punting. But, uh, hey. Comes down to special teams sometimes. And uh, these guys certainly got to their uh, day in the sunlight. So good on those punters. Not a ton to cover here other than the fact that it was just an ugly game. And Navy's got some major things they've got to iron out. But I am excited to see Army and Air Force and who takes home that Commanders-in-Chief trophy. What say you about this one, Pierce?
0: Yeah, nothing uh, too much to add, uh, you know, in detail there. You broke it down nicely. (laughs) You do kind of get this. uh, You do get these battles defensively when you have these games, typically. Um, you know, the, the, one of the major factors for teams that don't see the or prep for the triple option is getting ready for the cut blocks. Get the, telling your defensive lineman, you got to use your hands. You can't just bull rush and try to do some of your speed stuff. You got to be ready for them to come at your feet. Or if you're not ready, they're going to chop you down. Or they, even worse, they could catch your knees or ankles and really mess you up for, you know, uh, you know multiple, multiple uh, long period of time. These two teams obviously they go up against it every day you just kind of knew at the end of the day that this this air Force team was gonna have the a little better offense a little better uh a little better talent um I know that's crazy to say Navy's been so good for so long in this system um, but you know they, they've really started to go downhill a little bit the last couple years and air Force is just steady eddy they just continually do this they they you know you don't hear about them much because they're out on the west coast and you know, they're not named Army or Navy, which is a shame uh, that they don't get the recognition. But, yeah, they have every chance to uh, to, to come up and get this Commander-in-Chief's trophy. Um, and, and it's kind of went how I was expecting. I, I knew it was going to be lower scoring. I knew at the end of the day our Air Force is just going to have the slightly better team. Um, and, and and you saw it. And, obviously, the reports uh, that you just read to me is, is a very scary thing for a Navy program moving forward. That's uh, – Especially out of our military, you don't want to see that type of indecision and, and craziness going on. So we will see uh, see how they uh, you know go moving forward.
1: All right, time for the CyHawk Trophy. Iowa wins this one, 27, Iowa State, 17. Now the Cyclone sl- Cyclones Cyclones came in with lots of hope that this would be the year they break the streak and beat the Hawkeyes. The game was in Ames. Game day was there. It was the first time they've ever both been ranked in this matchup, but Iowa built on their great opening game and dominated on defense, holding Brees Hall to under 100 yards and recovering four turnovers, which the offense took home points on each one. That's what ultimately it comes down to is if you are going to get those takeaways, your offense also has to deliver, and the Hawkeyes had it going on both sides of the ball in terms of that. Uh, now, not all is lost for the Cyclones, but they will need Brock Purdy to get better uh, with conference play looming. The four-year starter through three picks uh, against the Hawkeyes. But the bragger of the game is, of course, the Hawkeyes' defense. But in particular – Matt Hankins, who picked off the ball from Brock Purdy two times, two interceptions for uh, Matt Hankins in the win. Iowa looking like they might be the real deal here, Pierce, and they they have a uh, lick in their wounds. Ohio State in the conference as well. I know that they're probably circling a matchup with them down in the future. What did you think about this one, Uh, the Cy Hawk Trophy?
0: I was thinking I was very wrong. Um, I I thought – I. I, I, I drank the Kool Aid. I thought this was Iowa State's best chance, biggest chance. They, they had to step up and do this, and they were they were ready and poised and going to. Um, you know, certainly I think I maybe overreacted to my underreaction, if that makes any sense, to Iowa State's lackluster performance against Northern Iowa, and thinking that that you know that wasn't going to be a carryover. Listen. Week one to week two, a lot of overreactions happen, yada yada. Not going to freak out about that. They're going to be ready for this one, and and to have a you know it's it's one thing where this is the the big chance your program needs to step up and and enter that upper echelon, and by that I mean truly into the top seven eight programs in the country that has a chance for the playoff each and every year, and you go out there and lose like you did at home, and albeit to your rival. I mean, this does not feel good. It, you got to start worrying about Matt Campbell if you're an Iowa State Cyclone going, he's not only getting tired, he can't get over the hump, but is he even the guy um, to get them over the hump? Iowa has really had his number even when they haven't been the better team. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, where the heck have they gone? They, they, don't, they don't look like they just belong on the same field as Iowa Cyclones or as Iowa Hawkeyes. Excuse me, look, I'm even getting their uh, nicknames interspersed there but at the end of the day got to give kudos to iowa this team may have the best i no, this team has the best resume thus far beating two top 20 teams albeit no matter if you think iowa state or indiana is worth anything doesn't matter still beat two top 20 teams um so iowa has every reason to be in the top six right now uh, and, and you got to you got to be interested with it. You know, think about them finishing this game and and going, oh, my gosh, Iowa State or Ohio State lost this. This big 1210 is up for grabs. This is our year. These boys are believing they're they're ready to do it. And we're going to see if they're uh, up for the task when they play Ohio State eventually. But um, Iowa looks like the cream of the crop in the Big Ten at the moment. Still yeah. to be determined.
1: Absolutely. You kind of said it a few podcasts ago. It might be the return of defense defense biting back this year in Iowa, one of the teams that's leading the way in the return of defense. All right. I loved this game here, Pierce. I had some fun at Texas's expense. Arkansas dominating this one, 42-21. Texas, of course, being like before the game, you know, oh well, they're not really a rival of ours. Um, you know, these teams obviously both being in the Southwest having some uh, bad blood playing previously. Uh, Now, right on the heels of an announcement that the Longhorns are joining the SEC. I know it's a little bit of old news, but it's still right in everybody's mind Uh, and a pretty good showing in the opening game of the season. Not great in this one as they traveled to Fayetteville. Arkansas rushed for 333 yards. I said rushed, not total yards. Rushed for 333 yards on the Longhorns. They only punted twice in the whole game, Pierce. But the real story was their defense. They held Texas to 256 yards, the fewest since 2015, and saw Sarkeesian bench Hudson Card, who had a pretty good showing week one in the third quarter for Casey Thompson. My bragger of the game is Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman. He was heavily critiqued. Still up until probably this game, honestly, was heavily critiqued when he was hired. He had never been the head ball coach. He'd been a longtime offensive line coach, never even been a coordinator. Um, But Arkansas hires him. He knows Arkansas. He loves Arkansas. He's a great guy. Pretty good recruiter as well. Um, He brings in Barry Odom. The rest is history. They've had a pretty good defense there in Arkansas. Um, and uh, they're, they 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 go to Athens here in a few weeks. And I was having a conversation with my friend. She's uh, going to be coming to maybe like one game in Athens. And she was trying to debate which ones. And I was like, honestly, Arkansas might be fun. Um, I don't know who they have until they come to Athens. But they're going to be I, – I, actually, you know what? They have A&M. But with the news that uh, Haynes King is out, uh, their backup did not look good, so that could be another win. I mean, Arkansas could be coming in undefeated to Athens, a homecoming for Sam Pittman. That game could be really fun between the hedges. Um, it's the first time that Arkansas has been ranked since 2016, uh, and you just kind of love to see it. No fan base in the SEC would I root for Um Uh, probably harder than Arkansas at this point, other than Georgia, obviously. We don't often play them. I love Sam Pittman, obviously. He was our offensive line coach for a while. I loved every time we got a big stud in the trenches, he'd post those videos saying, yes, sir. You just love to see it for him. Uh, No fan base has been down in the dumps quite as much as them. And I I tweeted out, hey, Texas, you sure you want to come to the SEC? You just uh, lost to probably – what was regarded maybe until this year as the second or third worst team in the SEC and you're gonna do this every single week? Oh boy, bring it on uh, Steve Sarkisian not a great showing he had some tough tough questions afterwards uh, but uh, Arkansas 40 to 21 getting it done versus the longhorns.
0: Yeah I can't remember what I said in our uh, preview of this past week but I do know one of the few th- points that I did make and, and and being a big 12 resident having gone to TCU. Seeing this, uh, this Texas team over the last, heck, 11 years really closely and, and then watching them uh, the last six or seven really closely as well, following along, listen, they can go out there and, and shock somebody. They can go out there and beat somebody. They can go out there and have a good game. They do two things very poorly. Very much so they struggle to uh, you know build off that. They can't put two big wins together, it seems like. They haven't for 10 years now. And on top of that, and this was my big concern going into this game, why I had Arkansas money line in the game, Texas just is not there on the offensive or defensive lines. They're just simply not. From an offensive skill point standpoint, maybe they have the better players than Arkansas. To be quite honest with you, it's probably pretty close. But at the end of the day, I could trust Arkansas coming out here with an offensive line as their head coach, an offensive line coach as their head coach, along with seeing what they did last year and knowing the personnel they have, you knew that they were just going to make this a very physical slugfest game on the line of scrimmage and try to break the will and also point to Texas and go, are you ready to play grown man football, which is SCC football? Yes, SEC teams can score nowadays. But at the end of the day, it's about the line of scrimmages, and Texas does not have that. They don't want to have that from the the players that are there and have been there over the last ten years. When they get in one of these games, they just they just lay down and let the team just run over them, and it's 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 a scary thing um, from a mindset standpoint that's going on down there in Austin. And hopefully, Sark, or maybe not hopefully from my stand from my standpoint, but as a Texas fan. You you gotta be sitting there going, hopefully Sark can address this first and foremost. Um, because again, they're gonna get the athletes on the outside, whether it's on offense or defense. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, Arkansas just came out and was the better team. I mean, got up sixteen nothing, held Texas to zero points, scored in the first half, and at the end of the day, that's just not gonna get it done. So Pretty funny. Uh, it was a pretty funny game. I mean, I, I, I'd i be lying if I wasn't sitting there grinning the whole time going, well, golly, I mean, as a TCU fan, bum that they're leaving because they're kind of screwing TCU, but also as a Georgia fan going, now we got a new guy coming in that has the chance to be, you know, take over this league. It was nice from both ends of the spectrum there um, to see that they've, they've got a long way to go. So back to the drawing board for them. I'm sure they'll do fine in the Big T- Big 12. They still have things to play for. Uh, but at the end of the day, Arkansas was just the better team, certainly better on the offensive line, uh, better coached, and at the end of the day, wanted it a whole heck of a lot more than, than Texas. So a um, lot of things to, 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 to be had from both teams going forward, but good for the Razorbacks to get this win.
1: The Mississippi State Bulldogs also got a win. The, they beat the NC State Wolfpack 24-10. to 10. Now, the Bulldogs got off to a fast start when I'm going to butcher this name, Ladiatric, Ladiatric Griffin. Uh, he returned the opening kick 100 yards for a touchdown for the Bulldogs. If you'll remember, uh, he actually he got the momentum started for the Dogs last week as well uh, when that was the uh, impetus of their comeback, comeback versus Louisiana Tech. Um, so pretty good showing for him the past two games. Um, Leach's defense was the star here. Notice a the theme here. I'm talking about defenses a lot. They held the Wolfpack to just 4.5 yards a play and their only touchdown for the Wolfpack coming in garbage time. At the time, I think there was like a minute left. So doesn't really count if you're counting things uh, stats-wise. Sophomore quarterback Will Rogers was much, much better for Mississippi State, throwing for just shy of 300 yards on 33 completion. Uh, NC State lost in the trenches, and they never really found their footing to get things rolling. I was high on NC State. I'll admit that that was a miss on me. You just never really know what to get with Leach's teams each week. You, you know, the ones that you think they should blow teams out, they don't. And the ones you think they should get blown out, they don't. So uh, I'll learn that better for next time. Uh, my bragger of the game is, of course, the Mississippi State defense sacking quarterback for NC State Leary five times and forcing three turnovers. Getting it done. clang a what do What you think about this one, Pierce?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I this might have been the the most happy I was about any of my picks this week. Um, really, it was a difference in our in our pick and pod of last week. Uh, you went five and five, I went six and f- uh, six and four. Um, and at the end of the day, I think actually now that I think about it. I think you went four, five and one because I think we had coastal at minus 25, which I believe that'd be a push. So then I went five, five and one, regardless. this was the difference um, in, in our records. You had NC State. NC State, listen, they're, they're a good team. They're going to have a solid season in the ACC. I was just a little too nervous to jump on the bandwagon after, A, what we saw from Mississippi State in week one because they looked lackluster and, quite frankly, probably shouldn't have won that game against La Tech. But also, again, you hinted on it with the defenses. These teams that are going to hostile environments for the first time in you know years – Literally, some of them haven't played in front of a full SC crowd in their two years that they've been in college. Um, you knew it was going to be a, a, a battle for them. Um, and, and at the end of the day, Will Rogers and company, when they're the underdog, they have, a, they have as good a chance as anyone. Um, the old pirate down there loves being the underdog. He relishes it. And, uh, you know, they came out and, and, and got it done here. And, you know, Devin Leary did have a solid performance. He did have that one pick. That That's tough. But when you can't get anything going on the ground, that it makes your team one-dimensional, and you know that Leach and company are going to be able to uh, throw the football. But you got to give kudos to their defense; they uh, they got a lead and they just did not relinquish it. So, um, was pretty proud of myself for for sticking with my guns here at Mississippi State. This felt like it was just one of those sleepy noon, you know, whether it's January first or January th- or December thirtieth type of bowl game that's just like. Ugh, really, these are the two teams we got to watch early in the day as a very sleepy, hungover type of game. Um, and, and for whatever reason, the SAC team just seems to come out on top of those. So um, felt like that to me. Uh, give kudos to Mississippi State and Mike Leach. I'm sure they'll uh, have a big letdown here next week. I don't know who they play, but I'll just throw that out there because if they're favored, if they get any hype, they're in trouble. But um, NC State's got some things to work on. They know they go back to the drawing board for them, but they do have the advantage of playing in a weaker ACC conference. So um, both these te- two teams have things to work on, but it was a fun one. It was a fun one down in Stark Vegas.
1: Last but not least, the Michigan Wolverines in the big house hosting the Washington Huskies. Wolverines win 31-10, to 10, and Washington now has lost their first two games for the first time since 2008 It was their last losing season. Actually, I say that. They didn't even win a game that season. So I'm a little scared for the future of this Huskies team. Um, I don't know where they go from here, Pierce, but they could not stop the run on Saturday of the Wolverines and looked absolutely shook up in the big house. Their first play actually resulted uh, in a delay of game, and you just knew that the crowd was going to get to them in this one, and it did. Now, Michigan was out there without their star receiver, Ronnie Bell, uh, and so they kind of were a little bit more um, run-heavy in this one. Running backs Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, who both delivered over 150 yards on the game, and despite having all day to throw, Cade McNamara at quarterback, uh, he was not great. They weren't trying to throw very often, but he only threw for 44 yards on seven passes. Uh, probably why they didn't throw all that much, he didn't have his star receiver, his top target, Ronnie Bell, like I said. My bragger of the week here, Pierce, Jim Harbaugh. Now, it was only Washington, but they looked good in Ann Arbor. And for someone who's been on the hot seat for a minute, just like Clay Helton, uh, you know, he needs wins like this to 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 start um, building up a little bit of a reason why they should not get rid of him. He was ballsy, too. Uh, he called a fun game, which included a fake punt uh, to ice it early. It was really kind of kind of the end, beginning of the end for Washington. Michigan thrilling their crowd at home and giving them some excitement that they have not had in a while. 31-10, to 10, the Big Ten opponent in this one, taking down the Pac-12 opponent. What did you think here of uh, Jim Harbaugh and company, and where does Washington go from here?
0: Boy, Washington, this is a shocker to me. I mean, hell, have I ever looked this bad in picking a, 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 picking a conference champion as I have for Washington? I had Washington well, win in the back 12. I mean, you would talk about a bad pick. That's as bad as it gets. Um, they have looked incompetent. They have not looked like a, a, a even a remotely solid football team uh, in their first two games. Give kudos, tip your cap, whatever you want to do to Michigan. They've still got issues on their end, uh, but they benefited from playing a brand name that's just not a very good football team. Jimmy Lake has some serious trouble uh, up there in um, in Washington. I mean, when you can't he, – he, he inherited a team from Chris Peterson who everyone thought was pretty talented. To come out here and just look this inept over the last two years, specifically this year, is quite frankly just disgusting and shocking. Wouldn't be surprised to see if he's potentially out at the end of the year if things keep going on like this. I know it's early. Um, I know he's only been there for a year and a half or two years or whatever it is. But this is not a good look. Give kudos to Michigan. They did at the end of the day realize they could just run down the throats of this Washington Huskies team. Which again, Washington typically has a decent defense, and 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 you're not seeing it. They 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 got absolutely manhandled on the lines um they did have some success throwing the ball and michigan's got some issues on their side throwing the ball michigan at the the end of the day is in trouble when they face a team who can put up you know 30 plus points they're just not going to be able to get there against a good team um but they were able to just go out there and play play you know simplify it win on the line of scrimmage control the clock and and at the end of the day come out on top and uh Boy, both programs have a lot of question marks. Good for Michigan to finally feel like they had that big big win, get them over the hump potentially. I, I, I feel like it's kind of going to be more – actually, I don't think it's kind of. It's going to be like a Texas where the we're back. Eventually they're going to have a bad loss here in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be right back down to, to, to as negative as you can be for Michigan. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not as not as negative as the Washington fans are being about their program and what's uh, what lies ahead. So um, – Two teams trying to get out of the uh, out of the cellar, but uh, you know Michigan's able to get at least to the dining room. So, um, kudos to Michigan for uh, for a win.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for our games that we picked this week. Of course, we'll be back in just a day or two with our preview of the week three slate. Super excited to delve into that. I think uh, not that I mean week two ended up delivering, but uh, there's some games right off the back that 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 I'm excited to look at uh, and break down. Um, as for what's on tap the rest of the week, make sure you're following us on social. We'll be dropping some extra content, some extra hot takes. We are at Braggin pod that's bragging without the G, across both Twitter and Instagram. We do our best to do uh, some live tweeting of games and stuff of that nature, so make sure you're following there uh, and on Instagram for some extra content tidbits as well. If you're not following this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, go ahead and do so. It's free, and it may- means you'll never miss an episode we're in the thick of the season, people. Uh, we'll be firing off content quick, uh, rapid pace. So make sure that you are uh, signed up, listening to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Those will get delivered directly to you. You'll never miss an episode. And uh, we hopefully will help you win some money over the season as well. I know you didn't do too hot in your uh, easy peezies pick, Pierce. Uh, you, uh, you had that under there on Pitt and Tennessee, and that was dead pretty soon into the game.
0: Um, yeah, but hopefully you'll redeem and yourself. If you recall, weekend. if you recall, uh, you know, landed on sixty three in the over of Ohio State Oregon. They didn't score a single point in the first quarter between both teams. We had it at sixty three and a half. We gave it out at sixty three and a half, and lands on sixty three. So the uh, you know the the bookies had it. The the bookmakers had it right there. Um, Gosh, you wish you had that first quarterback. Um, You know, you would have assumed one of them would. Between two teams that scored over, like, had over, like, 900 yards of offense, you would expect it to get over 63. But not today. We're back to the drawing board, and um, we'll definitely have some winners for y'all next week.
1: All right. Well, that's going to do it for our week two recap. We will see you in just a few hours, honestly. But until next time, I'm Madison.
0: And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.